I'm Jeff Ebert, and welcome to my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi, where we explore God's good news for imperfect people. We are in season one, episode 39, and we're going to take a second look at a great passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. It's the back half of the chapter, starting with verse 15. And as always, you know, if this podcast is drawing you closer to Christ, you'd like to become a supporter, just look in the program notes down at the bottom and how you can do that through my hosting platform, which uh, offers three different levels of monthly support, $1.99, uh, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. And really anything would be appreciated. Thank you so much for that. Well, you know, one of the core values and beliefs of the historic Protestant Christian church is our absolute dependence on the Bible as our primary means of understanding and experiencing God. Throughout church history, and any time the church moves away from the centrality of Scripture, either in doctrine or in daily life, the church gets sick, the, the body of Christ gets diseased, and bad things happen. So in our second look at this passage from John 14, we're going to see this is where Jesus introduces the disciples to the post-resurrection work of the Holy Spirit. And what we see is that the Spirit's work is primarily to bring us back to the words of Jesus so that his command should be followed and obeyed. They reinforce the spoken word of Jesus and the written word about Jesus. So the authority of the Bible over our lives as Christ followers is really absolutely essential. And I'd go on to say that I don't think you can really be a healthy follower of Jesus without a deep commitment to the authority and the power of Scripture. I want to quote from the doctrine of the Presbyterian denomination I belong to. It's nicknamed ECO. This is from their website, eco-prez.org. It says, We believe the Bible is the unique and authoritative Word of God, which teaches all that is necessary for faith and life. The prominence of God's Word over our lives shapes our priorities, and the unrivaled authority of the Bible directs our actions to be in concert with Christ's very best for our lives. I really like that last phrase. The unrivaled authority of the Bible directs our actions to be in concert with Christ's very best for our lives. Well, what does that really mean? Well, let's look at the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, starting with verse 15. Maybe he can explain to us. So listen for all the connections between the Holy Spirit and the words or the commands of Jesus. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live." And on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. 
All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Well, I'm making a couple of assumptions in this podcast as we talk about the meaning of biblical or spiritual integrity. I'm assuming that most people listening already believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's already proved that he is indeed God in the flesh and Lord of all. And I'm assuming you already believe that the Bible is God's word, meaning it was written by human hands, but people who were guided, inspired, led to write what God wanted written, and that it carries with it the authority of God himself. If I thought I was addressing, you know, a group full of skeptics, I would be going at this chapter in an entirely different way. I'd want to persuade you to believe in the historical reliability of the Bible. I'd look at the archaeological evidence, the manuscript and textual evidence, to build a case for why it's reasonable and actually logical to believe in the integrity or truthfulness of the Bible. And I'd use that historical evidence as a stepping stone to then talk about what the Bible teaches about our relationship with God through Jesus. So if you are a skeptic, let me just apologize for leapfrogging over some of your issues today. If you're serious about exploring those questions, I can point you to one great resource, uh, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. It's a great book that will definitely challenge your preconceptions and give you lots to chew on. The Reasons for God by Tim Keller. But I'm assuming that most of us already believe that Jesus rose from the dead And because he rose from the dead, then you have to accept as truth all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then don't worry about it. You know, he was just a man who lived and died like every other man, a noble man, maybe, a good teacher, maybe, because if he didn't rise from the dead like he claimed he would, then he lied about a lot of other things. He was wrong about a lot of other things, and therefore, I wouldn't trust anything this guy had to say. But if he did indeed come out of that grave and prove himself to be God in the flesh, then you absolutely have to accept the full authority of his teachings. You can't just take the teachings that you like from his, from his words and separate out all the things that you don't like. Jesus, I don't think, ever gives us that option. You don't have that kind of authority to pick and choose which parts of the Bible you like. The issue on which everything hangs is not really whether or not you like Jesus' teachings, but whether or not he actually rose from the dead. The only way we know his teachings is through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those were the only things written about Jesus' life that were historically verified by the early church. To have their origin in one of the apostles, documents that originated with the eyewitnesses to the events, the original circle of people who followed Jesus, and were then commissioned with apostolic authority to spread the word. Yes, there are a lot of other things that, writ- that were written that claim to be authentic, but most of those so-called Gnostic or secret Gospels were written a long time later, like 150 years after the events of Jesus' life. They were easily proven to be forgeries and frauds and not from the original apostles. So Jesus tells us how he wants us to relate to his word, and by extension to the rest of the Bible, because in his teaching he affirmed the validity of or the authority of the entire Old Testament, and gave apostolic authority to those who were going to write the rest of the New Testament. 
you know, there's been a movement in some parts of the church to try and, I guess, purify what is Christians are supposed to believe. It's, it's called the red, being a red-letter Christian because they only want to read and follow the very words of Jesus. And in older traditional Bibles, Jesus' words were printed in red while the rest of the passage was printed in black. So these well-intentioned folks only want to follow Jesus' red words because in their minds, that's real Christianity. Now, the only problem with that, just as I said, is that Jesus endorsed the entire Old Testament and gave apostolic authority for his closest disciples to write the New Testament because he's promising the Holy Spirit will come and help them remember and interpret all the important stuff he said. So you can't then just cut out all but the red letter words of Jesus when the words of Jesus tell us to include all the rest of the Bible. Does that make sense? I hope so. Jesus tells us how he wants us to relate to his words. What does he say in today's passage? He says simply, if you love me, keep my commands. Very clear. If you love me, keep my commands. Your love for Jesus is tied to, it's connected to, it's attached to your obedience to his commands. It says it again in verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. And then finally, verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Jesus is so clear here. He makes it so simple. Love for Jesus results in obedience to his word. Love for Jesus results in obedience to his word. If you love him, you will obey him. Those two things, love and obedience, they're not really two things. They're only one thing. They always go together. They are inseparable. In fact, in Jesus' mind, they're exactly the same thing. There's no distinction. Sort of like a Mobius strip, you know, which is a continuous one-sided loop that looks like it has two sides. It looks like two things when really it's only one thing. And that's the way Jesus looked at love and obedience. They seem like two separate things, not in his mind. You can't really have one without the other. You see, there are two definitions for the word integrity. First, there's the idea of truthfulness or honesty, like, you know, she's known as a person of integrity. With this definition of integrity, you're asking, is something true? Is it honest? Is it right? Those are questions of integrity. The second definition has to do with being whole or full or complete and undivided. Like if you're an aerospace engineer, you might be concerned about the structural integrity of a space shuttle or an airplane. You don't want the pieces to start falling apart. The integrity describes how all the pieces are holding together and working together. So the Bible is both of those things. It is both truthful and honest in what it teaches about God, but it is also the means by which we find wholeness or fullness or completeness in our relationship with him. I'm concerned that a lot of Christians only look at that scripture from the first definition, that the Bible contains truth about God. But they never move on to that second definition about wholeness and completeness. To what Jesus is saying here, that the integrity, the wholeness, the soundness of your faith is tied to this dynamic combination of love and obedience to his word, mediated, mediated by the Holy Spirit. So how does the Bible bring about this idea of wholeness or structural integrity for the believer? Well, look at the amazing thing Jesus says in verses 21 and 23. In 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show them myself to them. 
Then verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. So what Jesus is saying that he, is that he's revealing himself. He is going to show himself. He will make himself even more real to those who have this love, obedience, integrity built into their lives. Jesus promises that through the Holy Spirit, he and the Father will actually make their home in that person's life. I mean, isn't that amazing? That the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit will be abundant in the life of the person who loves Jesus and obeys his teachings, which we find in the Bible. Those who love Jesus and obey his word, that's what opens the door for full indwelling of God's presence in your life. Love coupled with obedience. Obedience is that saturated with love for Christ that allows us the, the presence of the trying God to flow into life. That blessing that we all desire, that nearness to God that we all seek, that peace we want in our hearts. Is that why Jesus ends this paragraph with these words? Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus's peace is reserved for those people who love him and who show their love by obeying his word. When we love and obey, Jesus tells us the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit is the transfer of God's peace, strength, and hope, and power into your life. That's how it happens. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal Jesus to us in all his glory, and he does that as we love and obey. Love married to obedience opens the door to God's presence in all its fullness. That's what Jesus promised. We will come and make our home with you, you who love me and obey my word. You see, the Bible isn't like any other kind of book. Its purpose is not just to give people information about God, but to enable people to actually encounter God. It's not just a divinely inspired history book or a book of Judeo-Christian ethics or morals or chicken soup for the soul. It is a living means of encountering the living Lord Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, way back when, we were introduced to Jesus in the first chapter as the eternal Word of God. That's the first title given to Jesus in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You remember that? Jesus is the external or the eternal Word of God, eternally existent with the Father and the Spirit. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. But then John goes on and says something amazing in chapter 1, verse 14. The world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The, ex the eternal word became the incarnate word. The pre-existent one, creator of all things, reduces himself to a fertilized egg in the womb of Mary. The word of God became human flesh and blood, God with skin on. And that's why Jesus could say in verse 24 that these words you hear are not my own. They belong to my Father who sent me. Jesus claimed that his words were the very words of God. And that is why they must be obeyed. It is through the written word of scripture that now we encounter that living word, Jesus. And through that encounter, the Holy Spirit blossoms faith in our hearts and draws us deeper into God himself. That's what biblical integrity is all about. You becoming all that God wants for you 
as you go deeper into him. Now, John Piper illustrates it this way. He says, imagine that you're invited to be a guest at a beautiful ski chalet in the Swiss Alps. On the wall in that chalet is a beautiful painting, a masterpiece, and it's a painting of the Swiss Alps, done in an intricate detail, beautiful colors and shadows. But right next to it is a glass door. And through the glass door, you can actually see the real Alps on the other side. And not only that, you can open the door and just go out into the Alps to ski or hike or whatever you want to do. Feel, you can feel the, the, the ice on your face, the warmth of the winter sun reflecting off the snow, the cool breeze on your cheeks speckled with snow crystals. You can breathe in alpine air and feel the crunch of snow beneath your feet. Observing the masterpiece on the wall or experiencing the Alps for yourself, those are two completely different things. So scripture is not a masterpiece to be observed or studied or dissected. It is a window, a doorway to a deeper experience of God. It is not a textbook. It is a love letter from a personal God who desires personal relationship with his children. You know, if you're in a Bible study, it's a failure if all you do is learn interesting facts and trivia about God or Bible times. If your study does not reveal Jesus to you, if it does not draw you closer to him, if it does not challenge you to a deeper love for Christ, deeper obedience to his word, then I'm afraid you're wasting your time. The purpose of the Bible, of a Bible-saturated life, is that you would have a clearer vision of God's greatness and glory and that you'd step closer to him out of love and obedience so that the Holy Spirit that's already planted in your heart would continue the process of revealing more and more and more of God to you. That, would, that you would see God more clearly, more brightly, more deeply. As we read Jesus' words here, we discover that the work of the Holy Spirit is essential for us to make this move closer towards God. It is the Holy Spirit that takes ink on paper or pixels on a screen and turns them into a sacred encounter with the Lord. Jesus tells us this movement towards God is not something we can do on our own. The work of the Holy Spirit is essential in this process. It's one of the major works or jobs of the Holy Spirit to reveal the living word, Jesus, to you through the written word in Scripture. Verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is why we talk so much about the Bible. It is God's number one way of drawing you closer to himself. That's why we uh, did a community Bible experience one year in our church where we gave people the tools to just read through the, the New, New Testament portion of the Bible, to feel comfortable in opening the Bible and finding ways to, to apply the Bible to life. The goal is, again, not Bible knowledge. It's biblical integrity, a life of wholeness a life of love and obedience married together so that you can have a greater sense of God making his home in your heart. You know, love without obedience just produces hypocrites and heretics. Obedience without love produces cold-hearted Pharisees or graceless fundamentalists. So it's not an either-or, it's a both-and, love and obedience to Jesus' word. Obedience to the whole of Scripture. That's why there are so many lifeless churches and lifeless Christians because they don't understand the absolute importance of biblical integrity. Biblical integrity is not some stuffy doctrine or academic, you know, for academic theologians. It is life-giving 
to know that you have to, with your whole heart, obey Jesus. It is the way Jesus will change your heart. It's how Jesus will give you his peace, strength, purpose, and perseverance. It is the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. Amen. Have a great week ahead. Take care.